0: Welcome to Sojourner True. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Today, a Black August special. George Jackson was born in Chicago, Illinois. He was one of five children. He was arrested in Northern California in 1961 when he was just 19 years old for allegedly attempting to rob a gas station at gunpoint for how much? For $600. He was sentenced to one year to life in prison, and he spent the next 11 years in prison. Most of those years were in solitary confinement. While in prison, George became a revolutionary, an organizer, and an author. He, along with fellow prisoner W.L. Nolan, founded the Third World Coalition and founded the San Quentin Prison Chapter of the Black Panther Party. He was becoming well-known in radical circles in the United States and internationally. And for this, he was dubbed a troublemaker for his revolutionary views and activities by prison authorities in 1970. W. L. Noland, after it was revealed that he planned to file a lawsuit against the superintendent of the prison where he was held, he was killed by a prison guard. George Jackson and two other prisoners, Fleeta Drumgo and John Pouchette, were later accused of killing a prison guard in retaliation for Nolan's murder. They became known as the Soledad Brothers and were accused celeb in the black and other militant radical movements. They gained the support of Angela Davis, who visited George Jackson and maintained a friendship with him while he was in prison. A month after his brother Jonathan Jackson and two other prisoners were killed, attempting to free prisoners, George Jackson was killed in 1971 by prison guards. In response to George's murder, the New York state-based Attica prison uprising took place just weeks after George Jackson was killed. 1,500 prisoners released a manifesto with their demands, and they controlled the prison for four days. The then-Governor Rockefeller of New York ordered that the prison be stormed by law enforcement, and 29 prisoners were killed. None of those prisoners were armed with guns. Today, George Jackson is remembered as a revolutionary who fought for his freedom and the freedom of others. His two books include Blood in My Eye and Soledad Brother, the Prison Letters of George Jackson. To this day, we're told that any prisoner in California found with even the name George Jackson found anywhere on his person or in his cell would be disciplined. Let us hear what Walida Ismarsha, a longtime educator and writer who teaches at Portland State University has to say about the legacy of George Jackson. Let's go to that clip now.
1: George Jackson's legacy can't be overstated. His example has been foundational and transformational for organizing happening behind prison walls for over 50 years at this point his deep commitment to real, thoughtful political education, his pairing theoretical foundation with principled action and engagement, his collectivity both in learning, in leadership development, in liberation struggle. I encountered George Jackson's work in high school while learning about and studying the Black Panther Party. As I deepened my own engagement and support in organizing with folks who are incarcerated I realized how foundational George Jackson is and began studying his work more deeply. I have learned more from people who are incarcerated than I have in formal education settings, and George Jackson is definitely among my teachers. His legacy continues to this day. I have seen his work cited by folks organizing on Texas's death row, during California's prison hunger strikes, in youth facilities in Oregon, in restricted housing units in Pennsylvania. And while the state murdered George Jackson in an attempt to silence him, what they really did was make him unstoppable. Beginning with the Attica uprisings, partially started in response to his assassination, George Jackson has been inextricably part of movements to change the world. And those movements have changed the world not just policies and procedures, not just lives and laws. They have changed the DNA of our struggle. George Jackson is part of the DNA of our struggle and the principled lessons and examples he set still resonate today, both inside and outside the walls. Through his writing, his work, his study, his commitment, his sacrifice. He has become part of the foundation of creating the new just world we want. He has shown us the power of organizing. He has shown us that the reason we are so repressed is because we are so very powerful. He has shown us anything is possible if we are strong enough and bold enough and brave enough to create it into existence. George Jackson's life is a historic certainty that has guaranteed the liberated futures
0: we want. Today, we focus on George Jackson and from the Freedom Archives 99 Books series, we will hear reflections on George Jackson from Angela Davis, James Baldwin, Sundiata Tate, and Rachel Herzig. We live in a global world where all interrelated, so on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted women, communities of color and other communities are responding. We also discussed the interrelationship between art and politics. Now for our news headlines.
2: I'm Max Pringle with these headlines. Several states held primary elections Tuesday. Kansas voters overwhelmingly rejected a measure that would have allowed the Republican-controlled legislature to tighten abortion restrictions or ban the procedure outright. It was the first time voters had a chance to weigh in since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade in June. Voters rejected a change in the Kansas Constitution to ensure that it does not grant a right to an abortion overturning a 2019 Kansas Supreme Court decision protecting abortion rights. In Michigan, Trump-backed conservative commentator Tudor Dixon won her primary. She'll face incumbent Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer in November in that state's gubernatorial race. In Arizona's Senate primary, Republican Blake Masters won his primary and will face Democrat Mark Kelly this autumn. Masters is a venture capitalist and has endorsed Trump's election fraud lie. Trump-backed conspiracy theorist and election denier Mark Fincham has won the GOP nomination for Arizona's Secretary of State. Fincham is now the sixth election denier across the country to win the Republican nomination for the job that controls election administration in the states. They've all backed efforts to restrict voting rights. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has left Taiwan after a visit that angered Chinese officials Beijing has responded with live-fire military exercises in the waters surrounding Taiwan, some of which have entirely encircled the self-governing island. Feature Story News' Patrick Falk reports. Shortly after Nancy Pelosi arrived in Taiwan, the military announced uh, long-range live-firing drills in waters uh, to the east of Taiwan. It also announced uh, exercises that would be taking place on Thursday, which would essentially encircle Taiwan in six different locations. But analysts have said that any hostile act seems Uh, Unlikely, although its response is likely to exceed anything that we've seen in recent years. Importantly, uh, any act uh, of escalation is likely to take place after Nancy Pelosi leaves on Thursday uh, to avoid any confrontation. But certainly uh, President Xi Jinping needs to be seen to be strong on this issue uh, and uh, at least to China's domestic audience. And that's Patrick Falk reporting. Congress is considering a package this week that could make major new investments in climate change mitigation and major investments in health care affordability. Public News Service's Mark Richardson reports. One study finds, from 1970 to 2020, the average American's health care cost rose from 1,875 dollars a year to more than 12,500. Jim Manley, with Consumers for Quality Care, says the main concern is that out-of-pocket costs are too high. According to a group's new poll, he says Arizonans agree they're getting squeezed by health care costs. High deductibles, rising out of out-of-pocket of costs, and unpaid medical bills are plaguing American health care consumer. I'm Mark Richardson. The first grain ship to leave Ukraine since the start of the war with Russia has passed inspection in Istanbul and is heading on to Lebanon. Ukraine says 17 other vessels at its ports are loaded with grain as well and waiting permission to leave, but there was no word yet on when they could depart. Authorities said a joint civilian inspection team spent three hours today checking the cargo and crew aboard the cargo ship Razoni. A deal last month involving Ukraine, Russia, Turkey, and the UN aimed to ease world food shortages by creating a safe corridor across the Black Sea. World food prices have been soaring and the war has blocked exports from Ukraine, a major global grain supplier. California Attorney General Rob Bonta announced Tuesday that tens of thousands of Californian consumers are eligible for restitution following a settlement announced Tuesday in Oakland between the California Department of Justice and Rent-A-Center, a rent-to-own furniture and electronics store. Bonta said the settlement amounts to $15.5 million, and more than $13 million of that will go to consumers who entered into certain lease agreements with Rent-A-Center. Here's Bonta.
3: Rent-A-Center might claim to offer, as they say in their materials, quote, worry-free guarantee, end quote. But our investigation into their conduct found the opposite to be true. Rent-A-Center caused lots of worries and provided too few guarantees.
2: According to the complaint, the state investigation centered on Rent-A-Center's kiosk business, which operates in retail stores like Ashley Furniture. Prosecutors allege that the cash price Rent-A-Center charged Rent-A-Center customers was 15 percent higher than the retail price. And legendary Los Angeles Dodgers broadcaster Vin Scully has died, he was 94. Scully called Brooklyn and LA Dodger games for 67 years before retiring in 2016. Scully's distinctive style and delivery provided many memorable moments over his long career, like this call of a Hall of Fame Dodger pitcher Sandy Koufax's perfect game at Dodger Stadium in
4: 1965. It is 9.46 p.m. Two and two to Harvey Keene. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed the perfect game.
2: The Dodgers said Scully died at his home in the Hidden Hills section of Los Angeles. I'm Max Pringle. You're listening to Sojourner Truth on Pacifica Radio. This is
0: Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. And today, a Black August special. We commemorate uh, the life and contributions of George Jackson. Um, now... 2022 marks the 21st anniversary of the killing of George Jackson, educator, theorist, writer, revolutionary, and uh, prisoner. Uh, George Jackson's personal and political development, his sharp, his capacity to organize, and his deep humanity have been an inspiration. Uh, for people who want to make change, uh, those who consider themselves revolutionaries around the world. The legacy and impact of George Jackson. <clears throat> resonates today uh, throughout movements across the United States and indeed around the world. In addition to yearly commemorations of his practice and ideas, the symbol of George Jackson is present wherever there is struggle for self-determination and uh, justice and as I said in the intro, uh, we are told <clears throat> that in California, any prisoner that is found with any memorabilia or even the word, the words George Jackson written anywhere on his person or in his cell, um, are uh, punished. Uh, and in fact, some of them could even go into solitary confinement. That is how much of a threat uh, prison authorities still consider George Jackson uh, to be. Now, we wanna thank the Freedom Archives for their 99 books series. Why 99 books? 99 books were found in the cell, in George uh, Jackson's cell after. Uh, he was killed. Now, the, what you're going to hear were primarily recorded in the summer of 2021. They are reflections, remembrances and statements on George Jackson's legacy, impact, and relevance for today's movements from those who knew him, as well as organizers, educators, and artists inspired by his life. We have made a selection of those. I want to remind you that the clip we're going to play uh, from James Baldwin was recorded in 1971. It was one I had never, ever heard before. But first, let us start um, with hearing reflections on George Jackson from Angela Davis. let's go to those clips now.
5: I encountered George Jackson for the first time uh, in connection with the organizing efforts uh, around the case of the Soledad brothers uh, in Los Angeles. I was teaching at UCLA. I had been fired from my position and um, had a court injunction that allowed me to continue to teach uh, at the same time, I was having to fight for my right to teach. Uh, I met George in person uh, when I traveled to Salinas uh, with a group of uh, people from the campus at UCLA to attend one of the hearings uh, that was uh, happening. By that time, we had done a lot of organizing on the campus, and we brought people from Southern California uh, to participate in the Hearing, And uh, that was the very first time I saw him. Uh, and I didn't really have the opportunity to have a long conversation with him, because you know what conditions are like uh, 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 when you have prisoners who are uh, uh, shackled and chained uh, inside of a courtroom. Uh, uh, but I did get to uh, know his family well and embarked upon a uh, correspondence with him. So my um, my relationship with George was largely through the letters uh, we exchanged around a, a whole range of issues. I was totally impressed uh, uh, because here was someone who had been in prison uh, for um, almost 10 years. Uh, uh, he was extremely learned. Uh, You know, I remember thinking at at, at some point, maybe George should be teaching the course that I'm supposed to be teaching on uh, Marxism here at the university. Um, But it was the first time that uh, I uh, came to be aware of the prison as a site for learning and knowledge production. Uh, And I think the impact that George had on other people behind bars was to encourage them uh, to learn how to live the life of the, the, the mind to a certain extent, to emphasize intellectual work uh, as a way to uh, retain some modicum of freedom behind bars. Very soon I realized that, that he wasn't simply an individual. He wasn't uh, simply an extraordinary individual, which he was. But at the same time, uh, uh, he encouraged community and collective efforts and political education. uh, And uh, uh, it was really an eye-opening experience, uh, because I had been doing work around political prisoners for quite some time. Uh, 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 But this was the first time I began to uh, get a sense of, Life under those conditions, uh, and not only the uh, oppressiveness of of prison life, uh, but the ways in which uh, George and others were uh, using that time to uh, learn and develop themselves. And I I suppose what was what was most impressive to me and this has remained with me to this date is the is the extent to which uh, he was totally aware of what was happening in the so-called free world uh, and had ideas uh, that were profound and and to this day it it, it 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 i always reflect on the fact that if we could use all of the intellectual energy of people who have spent all of this time uh, teaching themselves and learning, that we could perhaps really begin to address these uh, huge problems uh, in our society. We would figure out, you know, how to begin to move in a in a more radical, more progressive direction. In response to uh, the Question about uh, uh, the the impact George had on my own capacity uh, to think more deeply about uh, uh, the institution of the prison. You know what? What I should say first is that uh, that my focus had been on political prisoners. I had been involved in many campaigns to. Uh, free uh, political prisoners, whether it was uh, you know Huey Newton, uh, whether it was Lolita de Lebron, uh, whether whether it was uh, Los Siete de la Raza, uh, this was my connection uh, with um, the prison, and that actually had a long history because uh, when I was when I was much younger, um, I. Uh, was a part of a community that involved people who ended up going to prison under uh, during the McCarthy era. Uh, you know, my parents were uh, friends with people who were sought by uh, the 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 FBI because of their members in, because of their membership in the Communist Party. Uh, so I always tended to think about uh, the that institution as the the place where uh, political radicals uh, uh, were those who were uh, who constituted explicit dangers to the state. Um, I, didn't, I, I didn't think about um, uh, the, the larger uh, functioning of the prison as a as an apparatus of racism and repression until I began to have this correspondence with George and it, it, it struck me that uh, uh, we can't simply talk about people who are in prison for their political beliefs and, and activities, but we have to begin to analyze uh, the institution um, as, uh, as, as a whole, uh, and that, um, that, that, that was uh, a really powerful insight. Uh, and you know, when one has been affected so long by the, um, by the prevailing ideology, and you know, uh, you know, question uh, the fact that uh, uh, you know this person is a criminal. So obviously, that person belongs in prison. Um, it it when one realizes uh, that um, these constructions are all ideological, uh, it it opens up uh, so many new vistas, uh, and it allowed me to think not only. Uh, as uh, George had formulated, about the way in which the institution itself functioned as an apparatus of racism, uh, uh, and therefore simply focusing on political prisoners did not address uh, the, the, the larger function of the institution. And I also recognized uh, that uh, as long as I was um, Living in the so-called free world, I tended to think about uh, prisons, jails, and prisons as, uh, as 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 affecting men primarily. And so, as a result of uh, my thinking about the institution in ways that uh, George introduced to me, I began to think about the specific. Uh, role of the institution in relation to women Uh, because what i experienced was something i had never ever imagined uh, because all of the literature i had read all of the conversations had been around uh, men so so i can say that uh, my uh, engagement with george had a profound and transformative effect on my thinking well there's so many lessons Uh, george was an intellectual Even today, we sometimes underestimate uh, the role of the intellectual, or the intellectual is considered to be marginal to the actual struggle. And George demonstrated that in order to begin to develop a sense of the nature of the struggle we're involved in, we have to think, we have to read, uh, we have to reflect, uh, and we have to engage in, 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 in... Collective uh, uh, reflections. Uh, you know, now that um, that I've read uh, so much more than I had read then, you know, I know how important uh, education, political education, has been in in inside prisons everywhere, from uh, uh, Antonio Gramsci and his amazing prison notebooks uh, to uh, Nelson Mandela, Lolita Lebrón. Uh, uh, so, so I think that, uh, that one of his lasting legacies is, um, has to do with the, the purpose of knowledge, the role of knowledge, uh, and he, I think, exemplified uh, how knowledge uh, can be used in a radical and transformative uh, way. How it can be used to change the world. Of course, Frederick Douglass uh, uh, emphasized uh, that without education there is no liberation. Uh, But I think that message gets lost uh, sometime, particularly uh, given the terrible state of the educational system, uh, uh, which is responsible in part for so many people ending up in prison in the first place. Uh, So, uh, George had a way of following these uh, trajectories and thinking about these uh, circuitous uh, uh, connections. And I think that um, he really, he really led the way, Board, uh, a field of study uh, that is now actually uh, a part of uh, an, a, a number of university campuses. Critical prison studies uh, uh, that is interdisciplinary. Uh, that uh, uh, that is interdisciplinary in the broadest possible way. Interdisciplinary, not only in involving all of the disciplines, uh, but in recognizing that knowledge gets produced in many different places and especially uh, behind bars into seeing uh, the prison as a site for the production of knowledge. Uh, so when I look at uh, the uh, amazing um, uh, studies uh, that have been produced over the last, I would say 10 to 15 years, I can you know, trace that development uh, directly to George's insistence on, on study and collective learning Thank you for giving me the list of, of the books that were found in George's uh, cell. And I really appreciated uh, you know, looking uh, through the list because almost every single text has a memory attached to it. Uh, um, and I was not surprised, uh, but there was one really major surprise. Uh, and that was the presence of June Jordans, uh, an early collection of her, uh, poetry uh, and uh, June is someone who became a very uh, close friend of mine and uh, and I you know I love her work and the ways in which she used her uh, talents as a poet to uh, uh, to bring change into the world uh, you know, June was the was, was was I don't know maybe one of the first major public figures to speak out. Uh, in solidarity with Palestine, uh, I just I, I just want to to say that uh, when I saw uh, June's uh, book of poetry uh, alongside uh, Marx and Ingalls and Herb Apteka and Maurice Cornforth and all of those, it, it, it really brought a smile to my face because I think that we understand better now the role that art poetry and music uh, uh, play in helping to produce the kind of radical movement that does hold possibilities for change. George was really an internationalist. Uh, and as I think back to that period 50 years ago, I I realized that, uh, uh, that there was a greater capacity to feel as if uh, we were living in the world, you know, not just in uh, one country, uh, but that the world was, was 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 the place where we lived, and the world was uh, uh, the uh, generator of our responsibilities. Uh, and I know that uh, George read very. Um, He was aware of what was going on in uh, Vietnam, and he read Ho Chi Minh, and uh, he read uh, about the the struggles in Latin America that were unfolding at the time. He was very fluid about what was happening in Africa. uh, And it was very clear that that his stage was an international stage, even though uh, during the last period of his time, he was locked up in a small place uh, 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 in uh, the San Francisco Bay. Uh, but he was living in the world. He was inhabiting uh, the world. And I think that that kind of internationalism uh, is really needed at this moment, uh, considering the impact of, of, of neoliberalism and uh, global capitalism and American exceptionalism uh, that, um, even in this really uh, spectacular moment of awareness about structural racism, uh, there's the tendency to assume that it's only valid here in this country and therefore not to think about uh, the, uh, the ways in which racism uh, has become so institutionalized. Um, colonialism, slavery, the very basis of capitalism, uh, so that uh, our struggles here should be placed within a context that includes what's happening in Brazil, that includes struggles against police violence in South Africa, Uh, because the institution in South Africa is still a racist institution, even though uh, the majority of of police officers are black. Uh, That's one of the most compelling examples of the structural and institutional character of racism. So uh, I, I, I think that uh, we would do well to study uh, the ways in which uh, George and others develop the sense of themselves as a part of the planet, uh, uh, you know, not simply uh, a part of the United States of America. And to see that someone cultivates this uh, from a prison cell is even more inspiring.
0: All righty. And that was Angela Davis' reflections on uh, George Jackson recorded in the summer of 2021. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. It is Black August, which emerged from the August 21st coalitions, which were organized in the late 1970s to honor uh, George Jackson, a political prisoner who was assassinated in August 21st, and also other political prisoners who are still inside and who were killed, that according to Therese Burton Steely. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. We're going to take a short break. When we return, we will hear from James Baldwin, a little known clip on George Jackson that was recorded back in 1971. Stay with us, we'll be right back. Ninety nine books by Matt uh, Callahan and Yvonne Moore, a tribute to. George Jackson, our focus today, this being our Black August show. You are listening to Sojourner Truth. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. There's a lot of voices to hear. So I want to go straight now to a clip from James Baldwin that was recorded back in 1971. A very rare clip of Baldwin, of course, who was an essayist, playwright, novelist, and voice of Black struggle. Uh, James Baldwin never ceased to reflect on his experience. Is a black man in white America, and is regarded as one of the most uh, mid twentieth century uh, writers. Let us go now to hear from James Baldwin. James Baldwin. His birthday was actually August the second. Let us go here now from Baldwin.
4: It's difficult to talk about this because um, there are two things. I'm haunted by the face of his mother because it might be my mother, and I have brothers and sisters. And I've been haunted by the face of Jonathan because it could have been my brother. I'm trying to say that beneath the political implications of this bloody event, there's also an anguish which has endured in my country for nearly 400 years. I think this anguish has some implications for all the countries of the West. And... I think that one has the right, then, to suppose that the burden of proof is on the American authorities and not on the people who contest this particular story. I myself have lived through too many murders and too many assassinations to believe a word that Nixon or Reagan or John Mitchell or any of the other American authorities say, I do not believe that a boy can hide a gun in his hair. I do not believe that a maximum security prisoner can receive a visitor who is neither questioned nor identified. I challenge California to identify Madam Anderson, who carried something in her shoe, I think. I think that we, if we really are going to be serious about this, and to prevent another murder in another prison, or in another American street, or on a French street, had to assume that we have nothing to prove. I know nothing to prove. I know very well what it is like to be a black man in America. I know very well that the intention of the American Republic, which after all comes out of Europe, was to keep black people slaves forever. And I know that now that black people have discovered in their own minds, in their own hearts, that they are not what they are told they were, that America's on the verge of panic, on the verge of civil war. I scarcely know how to be any way objective this afternoon. For me, there's been Medgar Elvers, who was murdered in Mississippi, and Malcolm X, who was murdered in New York, and Martin, who was murdered in Memphis, and Huey in jail, and Bobby in jail. And one begins to wonder, how long? Why not keep paying that bill? And what I want to suggest this afternoon is that instead of paying it endlessly going to funerals, endlessly seeing widows, endlessly seeing corpses, endlessly being told lies, that we challenge them. I want Ronald Reagan to write a letter to me and to George Jackson, telling me exactly what happened in that prison and how he knows. I want Nixon to confirm it, and the Attorney General of the United States and his charming life. To tell me why we are still in prison and at their mercy. As long as that is so, the entire Western world is doomed.
0: Entire Western world doomed. Okay, that was James Baldwin uh, back in uh, 1971, and thus the references uh, to Reagan and uh, Nixon. Um, And the reference to the gun hidden in his hair was authorities claimed that George Jackson had a gun hidden in his afro, if you would believe that. Anyway, <laughs> that is exactly what uh, Baldwin, part of what Baldwin is questioning here. But let us quickly now move on. By the way, if you, I'd like to refer you to the Freedom Archives uh, website, the 99 books found in George Jackson's cell. You could find the entire list of those 99 books on the Freedom Archives uh, website and also the full um, reflection. On uh, George uh, Jackson. And we want to thank Claude Marks from Freedom Archives. But let us go on now to hear a clip from Sandiata Tate, who was one of the San Quentin Six. Look up San Quentin Six to learn about him. I'm not going to take time to explain that to you now. And he continues to be active in prison abolition work. Let's hear the words of Sandiata Tate on George Jackson.
6: And firstly, DVI in 1962. He had come to the segregation unit from Quentin, Him and Jimmy Carl. Georgia. The way he communicated, he always talked about that matter, you know. And when he'd be having discussions would be educated because he had a deeper understanding of how society worked and he tried to enlighten others so that we would all grow he was very honest in my opinion and dedicated to his beliefs they would talk about Socialism, talking about us ruling ourselves instead of being ruled by others, and that was one of the one of the things that just the way he communicated with people. You know, he uh, I remember uh, when he was getting ready in November, before Thanksgiving, he organized everybody in the segregation unit to, uh, across racial lines, you know, to uh, throw their food out on the deer. You're throwing your Thanksgiving dinner out on the and We did it, you know. I don't want to forget this, George had a very profound impact on those who would end up in the adjustment centers and the B-section, the segregation unit, and the whole, because he was being there a lot. So he was able to pull and influence comrades. He pulled a lot of people into being more conscious. He wanted to be a revolution. He really wanted to be what George advocated. you would be a revolutionary, but we're young. We don't really know how to be a revolutionary, right? We just, you know, listen to this brother. And one of the things we knew is that you have to stand up in particular you have to stand up against racism. You know, we didn't necessarily understand the class thing. Necessarily, you know, but we definitely understood racism and George tried to get us all to understand and by the way he organized the LaFouze strike, right. he starts to bring others into trying to make a change inside he uh Encouraged us to read that is one of the one of the things that he that he pushed Because he could organize people he could organize uh, Prisoners i mean who 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 in that atmosphere tracy who brings people together across racial lines at that particular time, I think it was because you know he had a lot of integrity, and everybody knew he put his life on the line for his beliefs. He would stand up against injustice, not just for you, but somebody over there too. You know, and uh I remember him being on the yard at Quentin, and sometimes people sitting around and having a conversation, and people would listen to George, he would talk with insight and be able to you be able to understand him for me the fact that he was always studying And if he wasn't studying, if he was conversating, he was conversating about something, not about a bunch of BS. You know, a lot of times we inside, we talk a lot of BS, you know, we don't have a universe, a small environment, you know, so a lot of stuff, you know, is pretty common and Joyce wasn't the only person, you know, that was developed, you know. But to me, what made him special, he was able to race to the people that would get down, people that uh, maybe would not tolerate a lot, you know. He was able to organize those of us like that, you know. And I will always, in my heart, have the deepest respect and love for George Lester Jackson, because he was a brother that committed his life to making a change to getting us off our knees and up on our feet as a people. I think it's a different time and a different year uh, but for those who are dedicated, I would say one of the best things they can do is study. And not only study, but dare to challenge the status quo. Dare to change the status quo. George was so committed that he was willing to give his own life that struggle.
0: Well, George Jackson, and that was Sandiata Tate, one of the San Quentin Six, where he says, get up off your knees. That was what George meant to him. Get up off your knees and stand up. Dare to challenge the status quo. Dare to change the status quo. Today, we are focusing on this Black August show on George Jackson, who was killed just actually 51 years ago, but his legacy is still being felt. He was killed by prison guards. We are now going to go on to hear from Rachel Herzig, her reflections on George Jackson, she is a community advisor for the Center for Political Education and has been an organizer and community educator in movements against policing and imprisonment and interpersonal as well as state violence. We'll play as much of Rachel's as we can before we have to wrap up today's special. Let's hear from Rachel Herzig now.
3: I uh, know for a fact that I had to be taught about him. And I know for sure that no one in my childhood would have done that. And
1: I also feel pretty confident that no one responsible for the bulk of my formal
3: education would have taught me about him either. Um, And that's important to me because I also don't remember not knowing about him. So at some point, somebody taught me about who he was, about his politics and why he was important. And now, you know, I'd like to re- I'd like to thank that person. I, my best guess is that it was probably sometime during my years in college, but I don't have a good sharp memory of of when when I first encountered George Jackson. I think the primary impression that I had of him was kind of just awe. You know, that this person was writing with such kind of just unflinching directness about the, not only his own condition, but the condition of black people in the United States and to some extent globally. And that he had such a clear way of talking. You know, he's one of those writers that just kind of like as you're reading him fills you with your own fire. So I think my impression of him was, you know, just awe that that, that he was just like a badass and totally charismatic even you know coming across the page like that but the other thing that happened is that as I started teaching people George Jackson's writing became a really important teaching tool so one of the things that I did was I taught in a program for people coming home from jails and prisons in the state of New York so I can't tell you how many times I taught Soledad Brother and Blood in My Eye in that program? It was the number one pick of most of my students who you know had good facility with reading. So we would go to the library and the organization, and they could pick whatever they wanted to read. and you know those books just kind of flew off the shelf continually. so his work became a very important teaching tool for me. And as I taught his work, I began to see him, you know, kind of more and more as an educator too. And so I think his role as a political educator, I think the kind of fact of how he shared his analysis and the the audience for his work is really, really crucial. And um, I think that the... um, clarity with which he described his own kind of political and intellectual evolution is also really crucial because it gave people a really great model of self-education and a really great model of political development. You know, it's often said about him that he, you know, he entered prison as a social prisoner but became a political prisoner because of the actions that he took and the kind of um, role that he played in inspiring other people inside prison walls. And I don't think that can be underestimated. I think that is a big part of his legacy. He's known, his writing is known as memoir, right? Or, you know, he's, there are these letters and then there's the description of his own situation. And I would have to say that's probably thing one that appealed to students that I taught in this program about his work. And it was one of those things where, you know, it was kind of word of mouth. So somebody would be like, I read this thing and this guy was amazing and you should read it too, right? So it wasn't that, you know, mysteriously, his book kept flying off the shelf. It was that people knew that this guy was talking about something that they understood, something that related to their own experience and that they would be able to see themselves reflected in his work in some way. and. His ability to articulate his own experience, I think it was really, really key to what was um, attractive about his work for the students that I taught. But I also think his ability to do that transcended and was, for lack of better language, somewhat universalizing, right? So black people could see, even if they weren't in prison, even if they were not experiencing what George Jackson was experiencing, they could see themselves reflected in his articulations of the condition of black people in the United States or his anti-imperialist positions. And I think that that clarity of articulation of kind of what his own situation was but in a fairly universalizing way is also part of what makes his work super powerful. You know, as a really obvious thing, thinking about the Attica uprising, um, and thinking about you know the hunger strike that prisoners went on directly connected to his death i think is you know one of those things that in the us prisoners rights movement is very well known and and very respected and it just speaks to kind of the impact that he was able
0: to have. All righty. I think that Q means we have to wrap up. I was hoping to hear a bit more from Rachel Herzig, but looking at the clock, I can see we are running uh, very short of time. I really want to thank uh, Freedom Archives, and I would hope that you will go to their website um, where you can see the full list of the 99 books that were found in George Jackson's uh, cell. Uh, after he was killed by prison prison guards this has been our black august special and uh George Jackson, you know, arrested when he was 19 years old, lived out the rest of his life in prison. He was arrested at 19 for allegedly attempting to rob a gas station of $600. He became an organizer uh, within prison and, as Sandieta said, really gave his life um, fighting for the freedom of uh, prisoners and bringing out the conditions of uh Black people in the United States. But as Angela Davis pointed out earlier in this show, he was an internationalist. So go to Freedom Archives' website, the 99 Books uh, Project, and um, you will be able to hear a lot more about this. So Black August, um, of course, August is the month to remember um, political prisoners and all prisoners, uh, but in in particular uh political prisoners who are being still being held in prison and those who were killed in prison. Now, Mumia Abu Jamal, one of the longest standing political prisoners, he called Black August, quote, a month of injustice and divine justice, of repression and righteous rebellion, of individual and collective efforts, to free the slave and break the chains that bind us. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. Today's show produced by me, that's Margaret Prescott. I'd like to thank our assistant producer, Alicia Vargas. I'd like to thank our board engineer, Gary Baca, to welcome our board engineer in training, Z. Orozco. If you'd like a copy of today's show, please contact the Pacifica Radio Archives at 1-800-735-0230. Go online to Pacifica Radio Archives. Archives.org. stay tuned for democracy now sojourner truth we'll be back on the air tomorrow thank you for listening and you all please stay well and safe